Well, good morning. Let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're a guest today, we're so glad you're here. It's been mentioned about texting the number that came up on the screen. There's also an insert in your bulletin. We would love to connect with you and hope you have a great experience today and that God's Word helps to meet a need in your life. Uh, if you are a guest, my name is Marty. I am the interim pastor here, and I drive in on the weekends, and I stay in the hotel across the street. And part of that experience, you know, when you're traveling, some of you travel a lot, you know that you have to have the right stuff with you to be comfortable, to be equipped for the experience, and if you travel a lot, you get into a routine. You know exactly what you need, exactly where to put it and pack it, how to go through all the processes of that. So that's kind of the experience we have every weekend. So for several years now, I've been doing interim uh, pastor work, so a lot of time spent in hotels every weekend. Uh, so coming over, I'm, I'm real over the top. I don't think it's over the top, but my family laughs at me, and you're probably going to laugh at me too. Uh, I like coffee, so coffee is an important part of the start of my day, the middle of my day, the end of my day, the evening of my day, but all the different parts of the day, coffee is very important. So uh, I don't want just any coffee, and if I'm going to travel and uh, get up early and get started for the day, I want to have the right kind of coffee, my kind of coffee. So I have a uh, kind of a carry-on suitcase that has backpack straps, and that's my coffee maker backpack I bring to the hotel. I bring, yes, I bring my own uh, coffee pot to the hotel and uh, do that. Also, um, I have a little uh, bag that I bought that's a little small pouch bag that hooks on the handle of my suitcase. So when I roll my suitcase, it has this little bag attached that I put my dress shoes in. Uh, to pack it up so they're not squished inside the suitcase. And uh, my family really made fun of me for having a special shoe bag. And uh, we're expecting our first grandchild. My daughter-in-law's due date is tomorrow, so we're waiting on pins and needles. If Cindy runs out of here in the middle of the service, she'll know why, and I'll need a ride somewhere at that point. But anyway, I have this little bag for my shoes, and my daughter said, your granddad name is going to be Glampa. That's what your, your name's going to be. <laughs> Uh, for all your little fancy things, but so in addition to all of this, you can imagine, so I've got my suitcase, i got this shoe bag attached, i got this big coffee maker bag on my back, and uh, I've got my hang-up clothes and all this stuff, and also just one other high-maintenance aspect, I mean, when you're sleeping away from home, you want to be comfortable, and you know, in a hotel, that's not always easy to do, so yes, I take my own pillow, so yeah, some of y'all understand I don't know if you call it the plural of that, but I have two pillows I bring. I need to lay on one. I got to have another pillow. So uh, the other day we went back home, and, and Cindy's notorious because each of us have two pillows. We have like the memory foam kind of pillow we sleep on, then a uh, down feather pillow uh, that's kind of our extra pillow. And my pillow's better than her pillow. Now she just needs to go get a new pillow, but sometimes when I'm not paying attention, she accidentally gets my pillow. Well, I got home last weekend, I'm uh, going to bed, I'm trying to get comfortable, and I realized something's not right, my pillow doesn't feel right, and you know, for me, just sleeping in a hotel, you know, you feel like, you try not to think about all the people that have been there, you sleep on your own pillow, you're not laying on somebody else's pillow they've been using, all that stuff, you try to block out the germ part of it, yes, I'm a germaphobe too, but I can't get comfortable, I can't figure out what's going on, and I thought, that rascally wife of mine has stolen my pillow again. So I'm about to wake her up and give me my pillow back. You've got to quit taking my pillow. And I'm, I'm doing this number trying to adjust the pillow, and I pull it up, and I realize 
The reason this pillow's not comfortable is because in between services, I quickly pack up my bag, and when I grab the pillows, I grab my pillow and my second pillow I left and grab the hotel pillow, and I'm all in my bed trying to cuddle up on this hotel pillow back at my house. But anyway, the point being, when you go off to do something like stay in a hotel and travel a lot, if you're going to play a sport, you need certain equipment. In life, you just need certain things to feel comfortable or to do things the right way. Well, when it comes to what we've been talking about and putting on the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6, it requires us putting on the right armor. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, I'm sure you do, the story of David and Goliath. Remember how David was going out to fight that giant? And when he volunteered himself to take on that task, what did Saul, the king, do? Here, put on my armor, carry my sword into battle. And David looks to Saul and says, while wearing this oversized, bulky armor that's weighing him down, this giant sword, he can hardly lift, I can't move. I can hardly walk in this stuff. And he realized there was no way he could go into battle with that wrong equipment. So he picked up the right weapons, and of course, we know he was victorious. Today, as we think about trying to win the battle that we are facing, a battle that's being waged against us by our enemy, the devil, his demons, his dominion trying to rule in our lives, we have to battle back with the right equipment. Now, unfortunately, for a lot of us, we don't follow the prescription that Paul gives us in Ephesians 6, but instead, we try to put on Saul's armor, in a sense. We try to put on uh, what we think would be best to fight the battles we have in this world. And we start to look at them through worldly eyes, in earthly terms. And we think, well, to fight the battles that I face in this world, I need to use worldly tactics. In other words, if I can uh, have enough money, if I can have enough power, or even if I can become religious enough, go to church enough, and do enough good things, then I can overcome Satan's power. But Paul says, no, that's not the prescription for how to be successful spiritually, but instead you have to put on the armor he describes in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Now this passage teaches us how to be spiritually equipped with the right armor, the right things in our possession to be successful. So as we wrap up our study, we read this passage one last time as Paul writes, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Now, in the past several weeks, in our previous messages, we've talked a lot about the pieces of the armor that protect us. 
Up until this point, uh, all the armor we'd have put on has been, the equipment we've had has been defensive. But now we're given the weapons we need to stand defensively, but also to go on the offensive. We're not just to survive on this earth hoping to stand against the devil's attacks and his schemes. God has equipped us to actually wage war, to take ground, to defeat our enemy in the battles of this life, leading to the day when Jesus will defeat the devil once and for all as he casts Satan into that lake of fire. We are not just on the defensive church, we are also on the offensive. I want you to imagine if you were marching off to war today, especially rewinding in your mind's eye to ancient times during the days of the Roman Empire. No long-range missiles, no fighter jets and bombers, no drones in existence, but instead you marched off to war suited up for hand-to-hand combat. Of course, you would be glad to have the right armor on, the breastplate, the helmet, those cleated sandals that you might wear. The right armor matters if you're going into battle. It could save your life from a mortal blow that comes your way. But imagine for a moment going off to fight in a war and never grabbing a weapon. You've got the helmet, you've got the breastplate, you're all cinched up, you have on the right type of footwear. Armor helps for a few moments as you try to defend yourself, but sooner or later you're going to have to fight back if you're going to live, right? A well-prepared army is not just one that has the defensive measures in place, but also one who is prepared offensively. Now at this point in our passage, Paul tells us about those weapons we can take up to go into battle. Two weapons in our arsenal that give us victory over the devil every time are the Word of God and prayer. These are the weapons that enable us to go on the attack. These are weapons not to be used in the physical world in the sense that we're battling against flesh and blood, but remember all that we perceive in this physical world has this spiritual backdrop where the truest reality is happening as these evil forces are triggering all these results in the physical world. So to go to battle, not just in our own equipment, with our own logic and common sense approaches to life, like I said, having enough money, enough cloud, enough religion, all the things we might try to do to make life work in this realm, We are to take on these spiritual weapons so we can fight in the spiritual realm so we can know true victory. These are the word of God and prayer. These are weapons we are using in the spiritual realm. These are weapons for attacking Satan's strongholds and defeating him. When we use these two weapons, the word of God and prayer, we are inflicting damage on the evil one. We are causing carnage to Satan's evil work. So taking hold of these weapons is very, very important. You know that victory in a war only comes when you are fighting. And I tell you today, the church is called to fight. We are not on defense hoping to just make it through and survive the assault of the devil. By no means, we are on the offensive. Satan is to be put on defense. We are on the offensive. Satan is to be on the defensive. Assuring us of our success in attacking the kingdom of Satan, Jesus gave this triumphant statement we know from Matthew 16 verse 18 telling us, I will build my church and the gates of hell 
will not overpower it. Understand today, the gates of a kingdom, it says there, the gates of hell. It pictures for us that the kingdom uh, having gates is a defensive structure. Gates are designed to secure a kingdom that's under siege. And that's what Satan should be experiencing for, from us. He is under siege from God's church. Satan is under siege because of the work of First Baptist Church on the square because of the involvement of God's people in this room encountering the Word of God and spending seasons in prayer. And Satan's defenses are not strong enough to stand against the Lord and his empowered people. I want you to listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Listen to what it says there. For although we are walking in the flesh, talking about we're in this material world, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, in other words, they're not material, he says since they're not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, or it could be translated, of fortresses. So this guarded empire of Satan that has got these defensive structures trying to hold back what the church is bringing against this evil kingdom, we are able to tear down these fortresses. We are able to, to stand strong in our faith and overcome the evil one. Now think about what that means for you individually and for us as a church. No matter what Satan tries to do in your life, no matter what he brings against you, the temptation, even though it seems impossible to stand against it, the discouragement or the depression, it seems like it has you so low you can never rise up again. The hurt you have in life that has cut you so deeply it feels like you could never heal. The regret that is so overwhelming that you wish you could rewind the clock. All the unsettling things that happen in the life of a church. A season without a pastor. Maybe conflict that's been in the past. All the things we worry about in our culture today that are opposed to the Word of God, an economy that is fledgling around us, whatever it is, we have victory in Jesus Christ. And that victory is realized through the power of the Word of God and prayer. These are the weapons of spiritual warfare. These are the two weapons God has given the church to overcome the enemy and to gain territory for the glory of God. So let's look a little closer at each one. Again in verse 17. It says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What do we know of the Word of God? It is unique among the books in the world. Verse 17 is pointing out to us that Scripture did not originate with human authors. While the Bible is a book written by numerous authors over a period of hundreds of years, it is the Word of God. Scripture has human authorship, but under the divine direction of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Scripture, in other words, is the Word of God penned by the hands of men. Make note, if you will, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. So it's not that 
Peter or Paul or James, someone was just, oh, what do I want to write about God today? Let me just write some things down and it'll be kind of God-like. No, instead, those who wrote did not write by their own interpretation, verse 21, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says to us that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So today, when you think about the attacks of the devil, when you feel like you can't stand strong against that temptation or that discouragement, or whatever thing Satan is firing at you, how do you overcome his power that works against you? How do you do battle against temptations that are too hard to resist? Victory when you feel defeated. It is through the power of the Word of God. Scripture gives us the power to overcome Satan. As Paul saw that short sword that was sheathed in the belt of that Roman soldier he was shackled to as he pins this letter to the Ephesians while he's in prison. He was reminded as he looked at that soldier with all that gear and with that sword there on his side, he was reminded about the sword of the Lord, the Word of God. It is through the sword of the Word of God we have victory. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 12 said, for the Word of God, it is living, it is effective, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. In other words, it's better, sharper, stronger, more effective than any other weapon you could pick up. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So we're instructed to take out this razor-sharp weapon and use it to win the war that is being waged against us. That's exactly what Jesus modeled for us, wasn't it? When he was under attack by the devil, he pulled that sword from its scabbard. He drew his sword, and he used it to overcome the strong temptation that came against him. It happened in Matthew chapter 4. As we read the account there, Satan comes to Jesus at a time of great vulnerability. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days in the desert, and Satan comes and, and tempts him in three vulnerable areas, and he offers him a similar but easier plan than God's plan. But Christ, the divine warrior, the master swordsman, battles back against these three temptations with three verses of Scripture. And what happens? The devil scurries away, and Jesus stands victorious. I'm telling you, my friend, it is the Word of God that is your weapon for victory. And when you stand upon the Word of God, James 4, 7 becomes true in your life that as you submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. To have victory like Jesus had in that desert, you have to take hold of the Word of God, the sword of the Lord. And Christians conquer as they take hold of God's Word, they read it, they hear it, and they memorize it. Let's think about each of those three things. Let me challenge you to do that in your life. First of all, when it comes to the sword of the Lord, the Word of God, we need to read it. 
I was cleaning out the garage the other day, which is a horrible, horrible task. I'm sure you understand. I've been there before, but junk accumulates in the garage, and I have a workbench and these cabinets uh, with it, and as I look in the cabinets, I have stacks and stacks of these manuals, all the instructions that came with junk I've bought through the years. Table saw, circular saw, drills, and uh, mowers, and weed eaters, and grills, and all the stuff, and I, I keep all these things. I don't know why. As I was looking at them, I thought, I've never referenced one of these instruction manuals the entire time I've owned all this stuff, and they're just piled up in the garage, but for some reason, I just can't bring myself to using them or throwing them away like I'm ever going to need the instruction manual for my 15-year-old shop bag. But it's there just in case I ever need it. Some of us treat God's Word that way. We have stacks and stacks of Bibles, but it's been a long time since we've spent time in the Word of God. It's been a lot of dust that's been collecting on top of the cover of our Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly teaches the word of truth or handles the word of truth. The actual meaning there is one who is cutting it straight. Speaking of saws and tools, it's, if you're ever building something, you know the importance of starting with a good straight line. You have to cut it properly to build it effectively and, and, and correctly. And that's what we are to do with the Bible. It, it speaks of cutting it straight, interpreting it as it should be. Not, well, I think this is kind of what the Bible says because that just kind of feels good to me or that fits my philosophy or it reinforces how I want to live my life. But instead, what does the Bible say as I rightly divide it and understand the totality of Scripture and the proper interpretation of what God is speaking in whatever passage I'm reading. For a lot of Christian people, they've yet to develop the discipline of approaching God's Word that way, of reading the Bible and studying it. You cannot use this powerful weapon if you never take hold of it. I want to challenge you today to commit to start reading the Bible if you don't, to make it a daily practice in your life, whether a few minutes or a half hour, or much longer, to read the Bible so you can correctly handle this weapon that God places in your hand. It is the power you need, the offensive weapon you need, to gain ground in your journey of faith. So we need to read it. Number two, I would point out, if you're taking notes, we need to hear it. In other words, it's important to not just read the Bible, but also to be a part of the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. When you're not here on a Sunday, and look, we're very mobile people. We're always traveling here, there, stuff's going on in life. And as a result, we've seen in our modern age that people who used to come three or four times a month now come one or two times a month. We've loosened those connections, and we're very uh, busy with all the stuff of life. But I would submit to you today that when you miss being here, you're missing something. We believe the God-breathed Word actively works in the hearts of people. There's something special and unique that the Spirit of God does in our lives when we gather together as an assembly under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Now, that has nothing to do with Marty. It will have nothing to do with the new pastor you get. Uh, I might be 
so boring. I look out and a lot of people have their eyes closed. They're not asleep. They're praying for me. Trust me, that's what I tell myself anyway. But listen, your Sunday school teacher may be uh, just boring as ever, but it's not necessarily about just being entertained by it. It's not about uh, whether or not you like it. And yes, we need to make it engaging and all that, and that's a conversation for another time. But the point is this, whether it's the best sermon you've ever heard or the most boring sermon you've ever heard, if the Word of God is being read and taught, God is still working. And when we're not here and God is working, then we're missing that in our discipleship experience. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, it speaks there how God's Word goes forth from His mouth and it will not return to Him empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. God's word helps us, it changes us, it sustains us, and as Jesus declared in the desert temptation, man shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, for many of you, you're faithful in reading the Bible, you're faithful in your attendance and hearing the Bible, but I want to challenge us to move to a third area as we relate to the word of God that for many of us, we maybe are not as strong. And that is, we need to not just read it and hear it, but we need to memorize it. Taking time to memorize the Word of God. So when the devil tempts you, you need to already have the Word of God in your heart and in your mind. It doesn't work like you're going about your day, you face a temptation. Time out, devil. Let me get back to you in a minute. Let me figure out what does the Bible say about this. That's not how life works. Usually, you're going to have a split-second decision you have to make in your life as to whether you're going to honor God or succumb to temptation. This is why Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, which was said earlier today in our service, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word, or in some translations, hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So when you meditate on the Word of God, you're guided away from the traps of the devil. In Psalm chapter 1, it says that the person who meditates on the Scripture becomes like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. To prosper against the devil's attacks, you have to counterattack with the Word of God. So we have this offensive weapon that we can wield and the spiritual realm as we attack the kingdom of Satan and stand strong for the kingdom of God, we have the sword of God, the word of God. But our second weapon we're told about is in verse 18, where Paul says we need to pray in the spirit. At this point, Paul drops the metaphor of armor, but not the idea of conflict. Added to the word of God is this weapon of prayer. Prayer is essential to your victory. In a struggle, Jesus prayed in the garden. On one occasion, in Mark chapter 9, there was a boy who was possessed by an evil spirit, and the disciples were unable to cast out that spirit. And Jesus said it was a spirit that could only be overcome by prayer. There are certain aspects of spiritual warfare that we encounter that we are only victorious when we stand in prayer prayer and Satan hates when we pray 
And a lot of us are making him really happy because so many of us are prayerless Christians. Prayer is crucial to our victory. It is prayer that makes things happen. Prayer gives us ground in our battle against spiritual forces. When we converse with God, we are empowered by God and empowered for significant victory over darkness. Paul asked for prayer that he would be able, he said, to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. I ask you today, are you praying that we as a church will make a difference in our community and world? Are we on our knees before God, communicating with Him, getting close to Him in that relationship, receiving instruction from Him, praying bold prayers that change lives? We need to be praying for the lost people of our community. We need to be praying that every Sunday we get all the folks we can to come into this room from our community, to come in here because we believe that when we have the preaching of the Word of God, that God is speaking by His Spirit. And when people have the sword of the Lord being uh, wielded throughout this room and the lost are hearing God's work, they'll fall under conviction. But we have to pray. We have to pray and ask God to empower our witness to empower our church that we could go out and make a difference in our community. We need to be praying for lost people. You need to pray. Would you pray for me? That I could clearly make known the gospel as I share God's word. Pray for who God is calling to be your next pastor. Pray that people will be in your Sunday school class and clearly hear the gospel. Pray that God would use your life to impact other people in the name of Jesus. As we see in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us we are to suit up for battle. But here's the great news about going into this battle. The Lord has already won it. We're in a battle where victory is guaranteed. And what we are doing is choosing to be a part of that victory. So suit up. Put on the armor. Defend yourself against the attacks of the devil and today take up the word of God in prayer and find that you can go on the offensive and you can use these weapons in the spiritual realm to defeat Satan and gain ground for God's glory. Would you commit to do that? To take on practices of reading and studying the word of God? Take on the practice of frequent, ongoing prayer, you'll find that you become victorious in the spiritual battle. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this day, grateful for the opportunity to learn from your word, and thank you for these weeks where we have discovered the armor of God that we can put upon ourselves that we could go into battle against our enemy. The battle is happening. The attacks are coming. We have to decide, are we willing to follow your way to victory? Thank you that we are not just trying to withstand the attacks, but we are giving a counterattack. We are not just on the defensive, we are on the offensive. We are going forward to conquer in this world for your glory. And Lord, what conquering looks like for us as the church, standing and being true to your word, rescuing people from 
eternal damnation by sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's building up your church that we know will be victorious as we commit ourselves to your work. And Lord, with a mighty army of people gathered in this room today, what a difference we can make in LaGrange and Troop County and the surrounding areas as we suit up for battle, as we realize that this world is not just the physical realm that we interact with every day, but it's all driven by a spiritual backdrop. So Father, let us enter into those heavenlies in the sense of taking on the armor, spending time in your living word, and conversing with you in prayer. Move us toward that end, we pray today. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed in this moment, the commitment is simple today. Will you take up these weapons? Will you commit yourself to daily time in the Word and in prayer? Will you commit yourself to be in church and Bible study in places where you can be with other Christian people and together have God speak to you through the power of His living Word? I hope you'll make a commitment to do that today. I hope you'll make a commitment to move into the offensive realm, to move into the offensive position of gaining ground for God's glory in our community and advancing the cause of Christ in our church. God is calling us to do so many great things. We have the power. We have the assurance of victory. We just have to take hold of these weapons and move forward. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come and speak to me at the front or to Brother Tom, our associate pastor. Speak to one of us about any questions you may have. We'd love to pray with you to accept Christ today and make him your Lord and Savior. However, God is speaking to you today. If you have questions, if you want to join this church family, whatever God's prompting you to do, respond today. Respond to his leadership in your heart and in your life and commit yourself more fully to him. You'll know how to respond. You're sensing already because we have laid forth God's word. It's speaking to every heart in this room. And if today we will listen and respond, we can draw close to God. So if you need to make a decision and you need us to pray for you or answer any questions as we sing this next song, you make your way forward. Father, we commit our time of decision to you. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.